Hey, it's Ryan Rosillo podcast, and we know that sports are finally back, and the only way to celebrate their return is with Buffalo Wild Wings, where the wings come in 24 sauces and seasonings. When you watch at home, make sure you watch with a wing bundle. I just feel like we have to mention Asian Zing every time. We probably are going to mention it again a little bit later on, but 24 sauces, man. Are that too many sauces? I'm not crazy. I mean, look, they're paying for the ad, but it's just, it's overwhelming. I don't know what to do. Have they done a bracket of their sauces? 24. They can make it like college. Invite invite everybody. They can make up some sauces. Um, but you know what? 24 is a good start. So sports are back, and there's no better way to watch than with Buffalo Wild Wings. I'm really proud of this podcast. We have Mike Vick coming up here shortly. Fox Sports. And we know uh, multi-pro bowler in the NFL. And we also know served 17 months i think the original sentence was 23 months in federal prison for his role in a dog fighting ring and um i've always wanted to talk to him i talked to him a little bit about jail when uh i first met him from madden release thing sports nation which i'll bring up with him but i spent a whole day with him at espn again it's not i've run into him a couple times we have mutual friends that's about it and I was offered up vic as a guest i said look i want to talk football but i kind of want to talk about um, some of the stuff in jail that I've never really heard him talk about, except for uh, an interview that I did read, and he was down with it. So it's uh, it's an incredible interview, and it's really good storytelling. And I, I'm sure there's some of you that are never going to give Mike Vick another chance, and I get it. And I'm not here to tell you that you, that you should. Uh, we all have our our own reasons for for how we look at everybody else, but I uh, I don't. Know. I just want to do this podcast and do it uh, the way we did it, and I'm I'm really proud of it. So that'll be coming up in just a few minutes. But first, I want to start with a story and an observation. So we're a couple days into the playoffs now. We already have some weird stuff happening, which is kind of funny because I remember going, why is everybody trying to pick these outcomes where the lesser teams are just going to beat the better teams just because it's neutral and things are different? Yeah, it's different, but why would the worst teams win? And now we're having some really weird results where you have two one seeds lose to eights. You have the Clippers as probably more people's pick to win the title split with Dallas in the first two. There's just some stuff going on. I mean, Toronto looks like Toronto, even if you could say, well, that Brooklyn game was close. But, you know, series are like that. I mean, it's this thing we need to remind ourselves of all the time, and that is that, you know, whoever you like, whoever you think is good, there's going to be a moment in that series where you're proven right, and there's going to be another time where it looks really wrong. I mean, look at Denver and Utah. Uh, Utah looked like a team that nobody would beat after game two. That was one of the more incredibly tight Everyone locked in, the right shots, the right move the entire time. And Jamal Murray wasn't nearly as good in game two as he was in game one because that's kind of the group that he's in. And that's sort of where this whole theory is going. But we we have examples of both the good and the bad from a lot of the players that we debate about and a lot of these teams. I'm not ready yet to start saying, yep, it's the bubble and that's why everything's different. And we're going to have ourselves a Mavs Heat Finals. Um, and even the Heat doesn't even feel like it would be that bad of a pick. But let's just see how a little bit more of this plays out. But the reason I brought up Jamal Murray is because he was so good in closing game one, going up against Donovan Mitchell, who drops 57, which I almost feel like that's not given enough credit. Be like, hey, he just scored the third most points ever in a playoff game, but they lost. So maybe that's the problem. But Jamal Murray had a stretch where he was really good and it was like, oh, here we go. This is what the Nuggets could be if you have Murray playing like this, especially with some of the shot making that we've seen from Michael Porter Jr. And he was he was terrific early in game two as well. But there's this theory that I've had, and it's it's not even a theory as much as it's just a real simple thing. Are you surprised if Jamal Murray has 30? No. Are you surprised if he has 13? The answer should also be no. And Jamal Murray's still a little bit on the younger side of this, but there's a lot more examples of this. Chris Middleton is 30-13. Paul George is 30-13. He had zero points in the first half against the Clippers, or excuse me, the Clippers game against the Mavs. And it reminds me of a story when we were a lot younger. We were in our 20s and nobody was tough out of the group. Um, And there there was a couple guys that got into it with these dudes in the parking lot at a local place in Vermont. I think it was like a Hannaford's or something. And because you're in college and and you think like, hey, and it was a very weird, like insecure thing at UVM because nobody was tough. We didn't have a football team. The hockey guys, were. there's a handful of those guys that were goons, but 
they liked us at that point. So you weren't really ever afraid of anybody, but you had to like carry yourself a certain way as if you were tough. And I don't know. I mean, I was totally full of shit. So um, I wasn't. And most of my friends weren't either. So what would happen, though, is it like you had to kind of pretend you were, you know, just think about khakis and the sunglass thing or a kid, kid you get in an argument with. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait, why is this guy screaming at me like he's Bruce Lee at the end of a movie? And you're like, well, that's just what younger guys do is they scream and yell and and kind of do this this cobra deal where they just start, you know, preening a little bit. And that's supposed to scare everybody off or it looks cool in front of other people. Well, there was an argument in this grocery store parking lot where a couple friends, I think, got beat up by 13-year-olds. Now, did they really get beat up by 13-year-olds? No. But when the story was told and like a couple guys came back with ripped shirts and one dude's eye was pretty jacked up, we were back at our house and we were like, what happened? Like you got beat up in the middle of the, the guys like we didn't get beat up. And then there was a third guy that was like, yeah, well you got, and the third guy was like the, the voice of reason. And the guy that was like, I'm not trying to be anything other than who I am. And he just was like, yeah, dude. He's like, you guys got into it with like teenagers and you lost. And you guys are supposed to be like college guys in a fraternity. And it was really embarrassing for those dudes. Uh, really embarrassing to have to kind of own that a little bit. And they kept saying that the guys that beat them up were in their 30s. And then the third guy kept going like, they might have been 13. And he kept saying 13 over and over again for effect. And his whole point, he kept coming back as they would defend themselves. And they shouldn't have been because they lost. They probably started it or acted tough. And the local guys are like, whatever. A couple UVM guys have had it. You guys are mouthing off to us. We don't care if it's the middle of the day. We're about to go look for worms, right? So. They didn't want to give in to the fact that they probably got beat up by high school kids. And my other friend who would not let it go kept saying, okay, maybe they're 30, but you can't say they're 100% not 13 either. And that was the best line. It was just, it was perfectly delivered. It was funny. And that's what I think about so many players in the league. I have a very defined set of rules. And whenever I say something that sounds like I'm crushing one of the stars of the league, it's very clear that I just think there's a separation between the tier one and tier two guys that is a real thing. And we see it all the time from these players. So if Paul George gets 40 in a playoff game against the Mavs, I'm not going to be surprised. But when he has zero in the first half, puts together a nice little stretch in the third quarter, but has what's a pretty underwhelming game, I'm not going to be surprised by that either. Kevin Durant brings it every night. When he's in the playoffs every night, it's actually incredible. I went through his game log again, and I'm not saying Paul George is Kevin Durant, but if Paul George is third in MVP voting one year and at one point when he was with the Pacers is being thrown out as potentially the number two best player to LeBron James, that's pretty rarefied error. But what I would say is, depending on where you're at with it, because we're probably all going to disagree, the five or six players that truly change who you are as a franchise, and this list that I kind of talk about that's a moving target all the time, but we know LeBron, we know Kawhi, we know Giannis. Um, I'm not ready to do that with Luka quite yet, although these first couple games are, are just off the charts, how scary he is on these drives. One of my favorite plays so far in just a few games is him driving right at Kawhi's shoulder in the chest and flicking Kawhi away from him. Like Kawhi wasn't strong enough to deal with Luka Doncic. That's, that's, I know Luka's bigger, but still, it's Kawhi. Um, Harden does bring it. I think Curry changes who you are as a team. There'll probably be even some pushback to Curry. Durant certainly is that guys. Maybe it's five, maybe it's six. But when I say, yeah, Jimmy Butler's really good, I'd pay him a max contract. I'd give Paul George a max contract. I get why Chris Middleton gets a max contract. I never want to hear about those guys being talked about as the group that is in front of them because they're just not those guys enough. Kevin Durant has played 139 playoff games. He's had... Eight games where he's under 20 points that count because he had one game back from an injury where he just didn't play that much, and then he had the other game where he did get hurt, I think, 11 minutes in, so he didn't get to 20 points. So if you look at the games that he's played, the full-blown playoff games, he's only had eight games where he's under 20 points. He went three years <laughs> between playoff games, one stretch, where he was under 20 points. Paul George, I didn't count Paul George's first 16 playoff games. Because it, it wasn't entirely fair to do that. So we cut those out. So give me the next 62 playoff games for Paul George. He's had 20 games where he's under 20 points. So we're talking almost a third of Paul George's, hey, he's a better player. Because I didn't count in the first three series because I think they were all under 20. It was going to make the numbers look even worse. I did him a favor 
But Paul George will have that moment where it's like, man, this guy is killing it. Like everybody knows he's one of the game's best players. And I've already gone through the playoff resume when I did it with Bill. But again, Paul George, 30-13. Does either of those results surprise you? Um, Jimmy Butler has been much better, a lot like George in that sense where his overall averages are a lot better. Um, but Jimmy Butler's not one of the number one guys in the league, despite what he'll say in an interview when he's just mad at the world. Uh, Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton. I mean, these are numbers last year from Middleton in the Eastern Conference Finals against Toronto. Game one, 11 points. Game two, 12 points. Game three, nine points. Drops 40 in game four. Probably has the announcer saying, oh, this Chris Middleton guy is so underrated. And then he gets six in game five. Um, and then he, he closes out the, the game where they're facing elimination. And again, those last... Their three losses were only by six points. He scored nine, six, and 14. And that was after he had destroyed Boston. And Jamal Murray, this is, this is just unfair. At this point, he's 23 years old. He's played in 16 playoff games. Already half of them, just under half of them, he's had, he's had less than 20 points. Um, and I don't, I don't even want to put Murray in that group with somebody like Middleton, um, somebody like Jimmy Butler, or a Paul George. I mean, Giannis has had 11 sub-20-point games and 35 playoff games. That seems low. But just remember the next time we're looking at a Tobias Harris who's invisible in another game, and we look at the scoring averages, and we go, wow, some of these numbers are really good. And I think we're not, we're not really caught up to date yet enough in basketball where it's a bit like the quarterback, the quarterback who's probably not even top 15 but throws for 4,000 yards and maybe 25 touchdowns, but you don't trust on a big third down. You never think he's going to win a playoff game. And yet somebody would argue, well, look at those stats. You're like, look, I'm sorry that Bubby Brister didn't throw for 4,000 yards all the time, but, but this current guy isn't really that good. It's the explosion of the offense. It's the way the game is played today. And when I have somebody who's a 20-point scorer disappear – I always ask myself about that player. I go, 30-13. Would you be surprised? Can you rule out 13 points as a possibility? And sometimes even lower. And the answer is no. Before we get to Mike Vick, FanDuel Sportsbook has an amazing NBA playoffs offer for all new customers, plus 2,000 on any team in the playoffs to make the NBA Finals. So that doesn't matter who you're picking right now. Bucks, Lakers, Nets, plus 2,000 on everyone. They don't even have to win. That's, again, to make the NBA Finals. Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started. Be sure to sign up with promo code R-Y-E-N so they know that I sent you. Okay, and don't forget, too, uh, FanDuel's been terrific with this. Specific ringer content, uh, really essentially specific ringer contests. Uh, we have the Ultimate Hoops Ringer Contest. That's FanDuel Contest every day where there are playoff games, $5 entry fee per contest. So if you win a contest, you get a ticket to the leaderboard series during the NBA Finals where all the winners will compete for a share of 50000 cash. Ringer swag and to be deemed the sole survivor of the Ultimate Hoops Ringer Learn more and enter at fanduel.com forward slash hoops ringer. All one word there. Age and location restrictions apply. Must be 21 or older. Present New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Colorado, West Virginia, or Indiana. New users only. Must wager on designated boost market. Max bonus is $200. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Colorado. Call 1-800-522-4700. West Virginia. Visit www.1800gambler.net or in Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. And when it feels, Mike, like it hasn't been that long, but but then at the right. same time, it can feel like it's been forever. Um, yeah. You, you haven't played in five years, and when you look at the game, it feels like it's a completely different game. So many yeah. of these young, great quarterbacks doing a lot of the stuff that you were doing, but it's just more accepted. I know you've talked about it. It's, it, it's been just the theme for years. How much do you kind of wish you were playing in today's game? I mean, I think about it a lot in terms of the damage that I could have done. Um, you know, passing the football, running the football, and now offenses are catered towards, you know, guys' skill set. So if you get a guy who's, uh, you know, 6'3", 225 pounds, but can move a little bit, or, you know, 6'5", 235, you know, like a la Joe Barrow, who, mm -hmm. you know, regardless of him looking like a prototypical pocket passer, he's a guy that can move the chains with his legs. Like, it's accepted, you know, and 
you know, offenses are geared towards making the quarterback better, making the team better, getting the most out of your quarterback and, you know, everything that he can do within the offense. And, you know, when I just look at what I could have did, you know, at the pace that I played, um, the skill set that I had, the vision that I had, um, and the the competence that I had to run the offense, I mean, the sky would have been the limit in terms of what I could have did. So, you know, I do look at the game now and I, and I get a little jealous. I'm not going to lie, you know, because these guys are, you know, doing what I did, but they're doing it at a faster pace. But, you know, it, it's made me such a, a big fan of the game. You know, Ryan, I can't not watch football on Sundays. Like, after I show on the kickoff, I'm watching NFL Sunday, Monday, Thursday, back to Sunday. I mean, it's just a revolving door for me. So I just love what the game is is presenting to the fans now and how coaches are taking advantage of, you know, guys' talents. Whenever you think about you first coming up, I mean, I don't – I don't feel like anybody was was down on your running. It was just always kind of historically yeah. like, okay, there'll be the dual threat guy, but then eventually he stops running because it's just right. hard to stay healthy. But is it easier to stay healthy? Should we expect more of these dual threat guys because of the blocking, because of the shorter passing, because of just some yeah. of the rules? Like, it, is it just easier for us to accept that there's a longevity to running quarterbacks that maybe we never thought we could have before? Yeah, I, I spoke to Kyler Murray earlier today, and... uh the first thing that came to my mind was that he played all 16 games last year. And you look at Kyler Murray, he's probably one of the most mobile quarterbacks in the game today. And even though he's a rookie, his durability was there. And the question that I always had to answer was, can he make it through 16 games? And I only did it once in my career. And the year I did it, I ran for a thousand yards. But prior to then, you know, out for two games, out for three games. So you know, general managers and teams are going to look at that as, you know, we may need those games. So now we got to go out and get a great backup quarterback or mold a backup quarterback to fill the void where he's not, um, you know, on the field. You know, so, you know, I felt like it wasn't accepted because, you know, guys, you know, pocket passes was playing 16 games and they they was durable and they was Ironman. And I respected that, though. So, you know, the evolution of – uh the mobile quarterback has been, can he sustain? Can he be out there? And I think, you know, Cam Newton did a great job up until like year eight, you know, year nine, where it started to take a toll on him. But you get guys who, you know, understand what, you know, the physical side of it is all about. You know, they protect themselves better. You know, Russell Wilson, he slide and get down. I seen Lamar Jackson sliding and get down on a couple of occasions, even though he can get crazy. You know, sometimes, and that's what being mobile will do. Sometimes, like, you get so caught up in the game, you get so caught up in pleasing the fans and, you know, your bravado and what you can do. You, you can lose it a little bit, especially when you, you know, you're faster than the opposition. Um, so I like where the game is at today because these guys are protecting themselves better. You know, technology now, like, God, to a hamstring, he back in a week. I tell my hamstring, I'm back and forth. You know, so it just works yeah. out. But I like the way it's, it's evolving. So... Everybody knows this as far as the younger guys, and, and I've been around, I've seen it a few times, where the reverence for you, like you yeah. are a hero to the generation of quarterbacks that has come up since then. Who's your number one guy then that's playing now? Who's the guy that's it's almost bugging you too much, but you still love him? Bro, I'm, I'm going to say this, man. Um, like Lamar holds a special place in my heart because I can look at Lamar and see everything that he's he's doing and, and say, I know why he did that, you know, so I can live vicariously through him. And, and I like, you know, I'm still a big Aaron Rodgers fan. I'm a big fan of Tom Brady. And, you know, Patrick Mahomes is probably going to be the GOAT next to the GOAT, you know, down the road. And, and, and he make the game look so easy. It's like, you know, I, I envy, but I love what he's doing, you know, because I get to watch it and I get to witness greatness. Um, but, you know, for some reason, man, Kyler Murray, and when I think about all the quarterbacks in the game today and, you know, the offensive skill set that he has, the coach that he has, and coming from a, you know, collegiate system, bringing it to the NFL. And I looked at his stats early and, you know, he was 60% completion percentage, 20 to 10 touchdown to interception ratio, rookie of the year. I mean, he did some great things and people aren't talking about him, but I've, went back and did my research and looked at him and, and, and studied him close. And 
that kid gets it. He understands the game. He knows the game of football. And he's only 5'10", you know, at that. You know, he's Russell Wilson-ish. And I, I, I just, I love his game, man. I, I think I, you know, can make a prediction that this team is going to go very far. I just got D-Hop, Larry Fitz. Um, but but I, I'm a big fan of quarterback play all across the league. But but Kyler Murray, is something about him um, that that just sparks special to me. I think he got the it factor, and I, I can't wait to see it in year two, as he told me today that he's feeling more comfortable uh, within the offense. So that's not even just because you talk to him that you would say just watching him. This yeah. isn't like, hey, he's my favorite guy personality wise. Yeah. You're just saying that you see something with him that. Wow, that I mean, look, the Mahomes thing just, goes without saying, but I guess right. that surprised me a little bit with yeah, Kyler. Yeah, and, and I like to look at quarterbacks who, you know, are just gems in their own right, guys who uh, are going to be difference makers, like a, like a Teddy Bridgewater with the Carolina Panthers now. I think it's just it's good reason that he's in that offense and he's with that team. Uh, he, he's a great fit. So with Kyler, wasn't anything that um, really stood out. I just thought about, you know, the growth and how hard it is to play as a rookie and what you have to endure in 16 games and, you know, guys going, coming in and out. He took 40, he got sacked 46 times last year, but kept getting up and kept grinding. I'm like, it's something uh, to this kid. It's, it's merit to that, you know, when a guy can hang in there and show his team that he's going to be there for all four quarters. It's, it's fighting him, you know, to the very end and he's not going to deviate from, the game plan, win or lose. You know, I think the season was, uh, you know, it was subpar last year, but they got a lot of room for growth. So, you know, in terms of what Kyla has has been able to do in one year, I just respect that because year one for me, I couldn't have done what he did. I couldn't have played. I wasn't ready. Um, Were there times, because that's that's one of the things, and, and you're going to be able to obviously speak to this much better than I ever could, but when I watch like, a younger guy, I'll go, okay, third and seven, does he understand what the hell's going on out there or is he totally yeah. lost? And you sometimes, yeah. I think if you just watch enough, you can be like, I don't know that I really trust this guy. And then more often than not, the guys you start to buy into, you're like, like Russell Wilson is my favorite on that down a distance because I feel right. like no matter what, right. he's going to be able to solve this. How quickly can you see someone, it doesn't mean they're necessarily bad, but at that point, they're still lost as a young quarterback. How quickly can you see that? You can see it early because what coaches do, uh, majority of the time, they put us through situational football. So we have periods that's predicated to first and 10, um, second and long. We have a, a third down period. We have a red zone period. And we have a uh, two-minute. So you, you get to see the quarterbacks perform in all these situations, whether you're the number one, the number two, or the number three. And when you're the number one, you watch the number two run the – the two-minute drill, and you're like, okay, he gets it. He knows what he's doing. He knows the signals. He knows the audibles. He knows the checks. He knows the defense. And boom, 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 they move down the field. So when you put in those situations, you can find out if a young quarterback can handle, you know, these situations in particular, you know. So we'll watch him, you know, continuously in third down, and coaches are even log your percentages and how well you do. So you get a good glimpse of what a guy can handle uh, and, and various concepts that might fit the mold when he's trying to run a two-minute drill or third-down situations. I always felt like that Green Bay win for you in your first playoff game maybe made all of us think, oh, my God, he, like this is going to be an incredible run here. You. Did, did that – well, yeah, tell me about that because after, you know, some of the stuff you just talked about, maybe not being yeah. ready, what did that game do for you and then kind of where you thought you were going to be as a franchise guy? You know what, man? That game was a gift and a curse for me. Um, accomplished so much in year two, and I never forget this on the sideline. Arthur Blank coming to me saying, "You accomplished all this, and you're only 22 years old." And I looked at him, and I was like, "It's just so much more to come." And you know, I felt like it was so easy to get to that point that I could always get back to you know divisional rounds to um, the NFC Championship, which came two years later. Uh, it was so easy getting there, but still a hard road travel. You know, I just felt like the ceiling was very high, man. So, you know, I got spoiled early. Um, I expected the playoffs every year. And um, the years that we didn't make it, it was a lot of heartbreak, man. But um, to be able to go in and into Lambeau, defeat uh, Brent Favre, who I idolized as a young man, uh, was, was a remarkable feeling. 
the way you describe that as a gift of the curse, I, I think is a perfect way because you're thinking, all right, at this age to go into Lambeau, this doesn't happen. Um, and, and to beat that team. And then you lose to Philly after that. I, I know you've mentioned it in different interviews where you kind of felt like, look, I'm so talented. I'll figure it out. Are yeah. there, are there still moments of regret where you're like, you know, I just wish, and I have moments about stuff that wasn't even as nor like not even close to being as cool as the NFL, but just moments yeah. as you get older, where you like, man, I wish there was some sort of time machine where I could have had a different mindset about it. Yeah. You know what? In years, uh, years five, years six, um, where, you know, I thought I had all the answers and, you know, you learn a new offense in one year, you make the NFC championship game. And then you, you feel like in year, uh, year two of that offense, you got all the answers. So yeah, you, you don't work as hard. Um, you don't pay attention to detail because you like coach, if we just do the same things that we did last year, I'm going to put us in that same position. I'll make the same decisions. I'll make the same reason and be quick and fluent in doing it. Um, and, and the next year, defenses change. You know, so you coach call the same play. He's doing what you ask him to do. We call the same play, and then you get a different defense. Oh, so now you didn't expect that. So now it's a different result, and it might be, you know, a, you know, a, a six-yard pass and a flat on third down when you needed eight as opposed to a 12-yard game that you got the year before on the same play. And you're like, you know, damn, I made that decision because I had to. It was the right thing to do within the system. And, you know, always trying to put the harness on running the football and trying to preserve myself. I was always getting those whispers and I, I needed to grow as a as a passer. So there was a lot of things that I was dealing with that I wish I wouldn't have focused on as much and just played my game. But it was a part of it and it was a learning experience. And once I got to Philadelphia, um, I kind of was able to package everything together. Yeah, that's really what they that the second year because the first year they didn't they didn't use you a ton. But I met you back right. in 2011. We did Sports Nation together for the Madden yep. release deal. It was you, me, Beetle. Who I went back and watched the footage. She has a boot on her foot. Yeah, yeah, she had a broken foot. She was injured. <laughs> yep. I'm wearing some gold Asics, which I don't know what the fuck I was doing with those on. Uh, but I'll admit, like, look, I'd never met you. You know, you, you know, you, everything you'd gone through, you're in prison for what, 17 months. Yeah. And I was kind of thinking like, all right, what's he going to, what's this guy going to be like? And we had a couple moments where it was off camera, off the commercial. And I just felt like, you yeah. know, we were getting along a little bit and I was like, Hey, so just I'd love to talk a little bit about that experience and how that transitioned to the second part of your career because you were originally in Virginia and then you transferred to Leavenworth to go through a program that you were later like denied. How scared were you when you first got to Leavenworth thinking that maybe they totally tricked you when you were going maximum security and that this was going to be even worse oh. than you thought? Oh, man. Stories untold. You know, I, I traveled and fill from in. Virginia. Fill it in. I tra However yeah, you want. I traveled yeah. from Virginia to to Kansas, you know, private plane, you know, and, you know, we in the clouds and I'm like, okay, this is going to be a smooth transition. And, you know, I know where I'm going, I'm going to a camp and, and I didn't get approved for a, a, a drug program that would have knocked off like seven to eight months of, of my sentence. So I'm like, okay, <clears throat> I'm going here, you know, to complete this program. And this is the only reason that I'm going to Kansas. Other than that, I can do my, my time in Virginia. To be close to your family, and, right? Yeah, to be close yeah. to my family. But, you know, of course, they don't look at it like that. It's really not about you and what you want. But when we first pulled up, we pulled up to Leavenworth. Leavenworth, the big prison, the penitentiary Leavenworth. And I'm like, no, this ain't where I'm supposed to be, like, they done tricked me again. First of all, they told me I was coming here for a drug program and then, you know, halfway in the trip, I, I'm told that I get denied. And then we pull up to this, like, just big, scary looking place. And I'm like, yo, I'm, that's not for me. I'm not that, I'm not that guy. You know, I might've, you know, had some slip ups and things haven't gone my way, but, you know, I'm not about to do, you know, my next 18 months, you know, in there, you know, and, you know, luckily for me, you know, God looked at me and was like, yo, you, you're not going there. You go, you're going uh, to the next building over. And, you know, that was a big relief for me because, um, you know, it was a different mindset I was going to have to have going in there. I, I've heard stories about it and people heard it and they like, oh, that's that's a real place. That's a facility that, you know, if you walk in there, man, you got to walk in there as a grown man, you know, and, 
you know, that wasn't my life, man. I was a football player. I had ambitions and of, of becoming a NFL quarterback as a kid. And, you know, well, not as a kid because I didn't know what position I was going to play. That's another story untold. I just happened to play quarterback. Um, but it, it worked out for me. Nevertheless, I was just in the wrong situation and I wasn't supposed to be there, man. Um, well, rightfully so, I was supposed to be there. But, you know, just in general, it, it just wasn't um, in my destiny, in my destiny. And I don't know how, you know, my life got sidetracked, but it did. And but it worked out for the best. You know, I, I never look at that as, um, you know, an experience that I didn't learn from, you know, a mistake that I didn't, um, you know, figure out you know, why I made the mistake and, and how I moved, was able to move forward from it. You're Mike Victor going into prison. And you, are you thinking like, hey, look, like these guys are probably like fans. Or are you going, no, somebody's definitely <laughs> going to fuck with me. Like what no. happens? Yeah, my, my first day, well, when I got there that day, I walked in at lunchtime. And I'm like, damn, this is a bad time to be walking in. So, you know, it's segregated when you walk in. It's blacks on one side and it's the whites on the other side. And the black side was full. It was no seats. It was nowhere for me to sit. So I went and sat on the white side. Look, I'm diverse. I can fit in. You know, I'm not worried about, <laughs> I ain't worried about nobody. Like, from me. You know, but, I, you know, I hear all these whispers. I see everybody looking. You know, they're sizing me up. You know, I'm, you know, my diet wasn't right. You know what I mean? So I was like, you know, I'm six feet, probably like 198 at the time. You know, the stress had got some, you know, it was wearing on me. And, um. You know, I went and sat, you know, on the side with the whites, man. And I I didn't like the food. I got up and I walked out and went to my counselor's office. But, yo, it was real nerve-wracking. It, it was worth nerve-wracking. And, you know, certainly one of those moments when I think back, I, I'm proud of because, you know, I walked in with my head up high. <clears throat> and um, I, I think, you know, I showed some form of confidence because from that point on, you know, it was like, uh, you know, guys just gravitated to me. You know, it was there to help me. You know, we was all there to to, to get out of there. And, um, you know, nobody thought about harming anyone or anything like that, man. It was just about doing your time and, and, and getting back to civilization. I have two more questions on it, so I don't want to blame it. But you did play sports there, right? Yeah, yeah, no doubt. We, uh, we had the basketball squad. We had the basketball league. We won the championship. You know, okay, but um, there was an all there was almost an altercation with you because a guy yeah, accused yeah. you of paying off the refs. Is that yeah, true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had an altercation with a guy from uh, St. Louis, and um, yeah, man. So you know, I told this story before. It's not a story untold. Like he he, he accused me of cheating. I'm like, bro, like, oh, we come on, man, We're playing a prison basketball game. Like it, it's not that serious. Like it's serious to you because we got some fans and we got people in here. You know, I got a little fan base. You know, I'm doing my thing. I'm I'm rocking out. You, you know, I, I banged the last game and everything. You know, so I'm man, and I'm I was consistent, consistent. Nobody could beat us, and we won the championship. What the game before the championship? You know, it was frustration started to set in with other teams. And this guy was like, you know, you paid the ref. You paid the ref off. I'm like, bro, you talking crazy, man. Go back to your bunk. He like, yo, nah, fuck you. I'm like, what? I'm like, yeah, I said it. Like, fuck you. You know, I'm like, damn, bro, fuck me? Like, over a basketball game? He's just like, man. I said, well, look. You know, some words was exchanged, and I was like, look, man, you know, I'm going to show you. Like, I'm going to show you that I, I ain't the one. You know, I'm here to, you know, everybody know I'm cool. I'm cool. I'm getting along with everybody. But he just took it there, you know, and, and I was willing to take it there in that moment. And I just felt real disrespected amongst my my peers and, and people in there that I had respect for and had respect for me. And I just wasn't going to let it go down like that. And that was the only altercation I had. And it would come through sports. And not even the sport that, you know, I was... So football, nobody messed with you. What you're telling me? What, we what played, were the we football one, games look, like? We played one football game. Okay, all right. I remember you telling me this. And, and, the, and the fields was like this. Just up like and down. Purely. Like yeah, like, like yo. I mean, if you're running deep, you might step in the pothole. I think I sent a dude deep, and he ran. He flew in the pothole. But we did play one game, and um, like it gave guys a chance to see me throw the football and like how easy it was. You know, I'm just like throwing the football and, you know, a guy running 10 yards and cutting across the middle is like, I can do that with my eyes closed. But, you know, to the average guy, he can't do it. You know, he's 
He probably throwing with crazy throwing motion and probably looking like one of my daughters trying to throw the football. But they was just amazed. I remember one of my my friends coming up to me afterwards and was like, bro, I see why you played in the pros. And I'm like, bro, you ain't seen nothing yet. You know, so, you know, wait till I get out. So that was like my motivation and my way of showing them, like, you know, I still got it. And that was without throwing a football in like 11 months. How annoying did it get, though, when you guys would sit around and watch and then they would try to argue with you? Because that's like my favorite thing about sports. It doesn't that matter the who you part. are. They were just telling that you was you were wrong part. about players. So, yeah, because, you know, you got guys in there with so many different personalities. Some guys, sports guys. Some guys, music guys. Some guys just like to sit and watch the TV and watch the latest gossip. They, you know, it's whatever, you know, the latest reality TV show. You know, a bunch of different personalities. But you got guys in there who think they can be sports broadcasters too and think they know everything about the game. Football, basketball, baseball. And the hardest thing on Sundays, and I used to just try to keep my mouth shut because I tried to pay attention to detail and what was going on um, and, and follow the game, was guys thinking they knew why a guy um, didn't get the first down, you know, when he was two yards short or why a coach made a certain call you know, he might have ran the ball on third and five, but he ran a draw. Like, draws work. They trick you. You know, they, that's how you trick the opposition. You trick the defense with that, you know. And that's how I got to explain to them. And I got tired of explaining because these guys think they was they thought they was know-it-alls, and I hated it. I started watching football by myself. Yeah, I don't blame I'm you on, on that TV. one. So I'm on TV. You're about to get out, and we know that, while you're still in and I didn't know what your expectations were if Atlanta like look I was not surprised Atlanta moved on from you yeah but they take Matt Ryan and it feels official what was that like and how did that impact your drive to return once you knew you were getting out yeah um a lot of people wasn't surprised I was surprised you were um, but I wasn't Why? surprised because I, I was just like, man, we're going to work this out. We're going to stick it out. Did Arthur, did you know? the owner of the Falcons tell you you're going to work it out? Because that was always. No, the... he never told me verbally. Uh, he never said verbally. That but we is that the sense out. you got or why would you think <clears throat> that? What it, a lot of people within the organization came okay. to visit. They stood by me. They was they was there uh, communication wise, you know, when I was at my lowest moments and just needed people to talk to, needed confirmation on. Um, you know, my security around the league and if I'll be able to come back and play. And I was leaning on people within that organization. Um, a guy named Kevin Winston, who's a great friend of mine to this day. Um, he was a great confidant. Um, he was a friend. Uh, he was there for me when I needed him. And, and he never told me that, you know, it wasn't going to happen with them drafting somebody else. I just believed in, in the organization and the relationship that we had built. but. When I think about that relationship, I didn't take advantage of the things that I was supposed to take advantage of, the opportunities that was there, my relationship with Arthur. And, you know, when they drafted Matt, I had to take it with a grain of salt. You know, um, unfortunately for me, that was the same day my grandmother passed away. So that added fuel to the fire and it made me more angry. Um, but that night, you know, a guy in prison, he pulled me to the side and he told me, like, look, man, you are here. You can't control what's going on out there in the world, and you have to be realistic about the situations that you're facing and what people have to do. You know, it's it's about monetary. You know, it has nothing to do with you. And, you know, I've seen that steamroll as time went on. Like, look, it was, you know, it was the right things for the Falcons to do at the time. You know, they got their franchise quarterback who's still there to this day which says that they made the right decision. And I appreciate that part more than anything because if it was a guy that would have just came in and he would have played three or four years and out, then I would have been trying to get back to Atlanta, you know, after a couple of years in Philly because I would have felt that there was still a, a, a hole, a void left, you know, in that city, which I still feel is there to this day, man, because of my actions. Do you feel it sometimes when somebody looks at you and doesn't know you and hates you? You know what? That doesn't happen. <laughs> Honestly, like if it does, then they keep their distance, which I respect. You know, I respect my space. You know, give me give me 50 feet. You know, I, yeah. I'll take it. You know what I mean? Give me 50 feet. Uh, I mean, and, and, and stay in your own space and, you know, you contain that space. I, I'll, I'll contain mine. You know, I think the biggest thing, man, from what I went through, and yes, it was 
um, a lot of hatred that came through, um, you know, what I, I got involved in. But I think over time, people started to see, like, you know, he's really not as barbaric as they might portray him out to be. You know, he is, um, you know, a, a person who's empathetic, who understands what he did and the mistake that he did making, trying to, you know, make amends to it. And that's all I could do. You know, um, I set goals when I was in prison to help more animals than I hurt and came back and was able to get three laws passed and, you know, worked with the Humane Society and various organizations and and be a part of multiple campaigns. And it was cool. It was fun. It was everything that I set out to do. And um, I thank God for the people who was in my corner for giving me those opportunities to work with those special interest groups and, uh, you know, make my mark in society, you know, for, for, for a different cause. What was the timeline of the Eagles and, and you going there? Because I think some people looked at the quarterback room and they're going, wait, what? where's yeah. the need here? Was there ever a chance, right. I don't know if you shared, was there ever a chance you were actually going to go somewhere else other than Philadelphia? Well, I thought it was a chance. Um, talking to my agent at the time, Joe Siegel, I'm looking at rosters around the league and I'm seeing Cincinnati, Carson Palmer was about to be jettisoned out of there. Um, Buffalo head Trent Edwards at the time. And I'm like, you know, Trent is my guy. That's a good friend of mine to this day. We was in Philly together. I'm like, hey, I can beat Trent out. I'm like, I can beat Trent out. And yeah, that's that, that's my boy, and I got a lot of respect for him. Shout out to Trent. Um, it's a cool dude, man. Um, but yeah, I was just looking at teams around the league and like, yo, I can get that spot, I can get that spot. And you know, when Philadelphia came calling and I'm looking at the roster, I'm like, you got Donovan, Kevin Cobb, Kevin was a second round pick. I'm like, what's the need for me? And then it started to sink in that this would be a place where I can be the number three and I can get my legs back under me. You know what I realized that I wasn't ready? My first practice. Coach was like, I'm going to call a quarterback draw. Give it everything you got. Man, I took the snap and I went through that B gap and I slid off to the right. And I'm talking like four linebackers just came in. It was three linebackers on the field. I thought it was four. All three of them just came and just tapped me. At the same time, and I couldn't get away. And usually, I could dip my shoulder and 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 just with a burst of speed get away from. Them. It just wasn't the case. My legs wasn't there. So the best thing for me was what, um, you know, my my guys, you know, Andy and and you know Harry Roseman knew what was best for me, Marty Morningway, and that was to you know not start the season, you know, um, and not start out as even a number two. You know, not start for another team, you know, be a backup, you know, learn the game, learn what we're doing now because the game has evolved two years, you know, you're elder and, you know, really try to get your legs back up under you and, and get that whatever you had left, get that back. Yeah. And I, I'd have to think, I mean, I know there's some numbers we could look at, especially with the rushing totals, but 2010 has to be the most in control you felt at the yeah. position, right? Yeah, um, Andy just made the game so much easier for me. And, and all I ever wanted to do when I was in Atlanta, uh, when I was running the West Coast system, was throw the football more. Um, I seen how Donovan threw the ball around uh, in Philadelphia. And, you know, I was envious of that. I, I wanted to throw the ball at least 30 to 35 times a game, not, you know, 20 to 24 times a game and have more rushing yards than I had passing yards. Like, how am I ever going to grow as, as a passer? And, uh, you know, some of my coaches had conversations um, with me about the reason that we didn't throw the ball as much. And I'm like, look, I understand the concepts. I know the game. I feel like I'm competent enough to run offense and, you know, take advantage of everything that I, I got to give, you know, while I'm 29, 30 years old at the time. And, uh, you know, Andy was excited about that. He thought I picked up things very quickly. He thought I had the vision to run the offense, and he's seen it. And as I was growing in the backup role, I was starting to look more and more like a starter. And it was just natural. You know, I just – I was a starter for six years, and I just felt that way, and I, I represented myself that way when I stepped on the field. And, and it was evident. You know, I, I was a natural leader. Guys gravitated to me, and I was – you know, five or six years older than Kevin. So when he went down, it was easy for them to, you know, put me in a position. I always kind of liked Kevin and uh, my boy Van Pelt oh, always made fun of, of me. 
but he yeah. just couldn't stay healthy. I actually think yep. had he not had the concussion issues, he would have been able to play. But um, it still, it still worked out though. for you. You know, yeah, Kevin his, made a great living. Kevin, and, and he won games that we needed that year in 2010. When I got hurt, he went in and won like like two games. He went two and one, and it was it was much needed. His contract situation is one of the most absurd in NFL history. Bizarre. When you when you dig through it, I, I yeah. hope he's somewhere outside, never answering a phone by a pool. <laughs> Uh, all right, uh, let me do a couple rapid fire questions and then we'll uh we'll bounce here. Okay, first one. Better runner, you or Lamar? Me. No, Look, I don't have a follow-up really. You want that. me to elaborate? Yes, please. <laughs> well, you know, I, I mean, look, I, I take no credit away from from Lamar. Um, but you know, he still has a long way to go. But when you look at my highlights, like it's insane. It's sick. They, they like something like you'll never see before. And um, I think because I was the first to do it, that'll always be in the front of people's minds. Um, and and Lamar's going to give us more highlights, more and more. So if you ask me this five years from now, I might give you a different answer. I love uh, like when when you're at your level and, and you just don't want to give it to somebody else. I don't. I don't think any. I, I hate fake humble. Yeah, I can't get that up. I I'd rather up. I'd rather arrogant than fake humble, and I don't think yeah, it's being yeah, arrogant. Yeah, when yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Although I, I'd I'd say Lamar has this one step in very close space that's oh, like at years. the goal line, just one step outside, and then cuts it inside. That is, it's different than. Um, I'm not saying it. It's just it's a different thing that he would do. And and, and he's an amazing runner, but I play running back for two years when I was nine and 10 years old. And uh, that's why I learned to use my vision, you know, in, in, in terms of, um, you know, not trying to be, you know, super athletic all the time, you know, let my eyes guide me. And then when I started to play quarterback, I just did the same thing. I let my eyes guide me, you know, in the passing game and in the run game. But if it was one thing that I would have loved to take away from Lamar's game, implemented into my game is the touch on his passes. Like he he throws one of the softest balls. Um and, and when he's throwing it the tight ends, he makes it so catchable. Um, you know, everything for me was bullets and rockets. And you know, sometimes I couldn't put the host on it. And uh it was nerve-wracking at the time. Okay, so off of that arm strength. So it's not necessarily the most catchable ball, but do you think there's anybody that has better arm strength than you at your peak in the league today? Patrick Mahomes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Patrick's arm strength is is crazy. And, and what I respect about what he can do is that he can put the host on it. Like he can give you the touch ball, he can give you the sidearm ball, he can give you the speed ball, and that's not an easy thing to do, especially from a guy who makes the game look so easy. Who do you wish you could play for right now? Which offense? The Baltimore Ravens. The Baltimore Ravens offense is suited. To run the football downhill, um, and it's hard to stop a team when they can run the ball that effectively, and then they got a quarterback who can run the ball better than some of the running backs. You know, much respect to Mark Ingram. Shout out to Mark. Um, but, you know, Lamar's a running back in his own right, so you got basically three guys that you can have in the backfield that can run the football, two guys that's like running backs, and, you know, it ties the defense out more than anything, and, and that's why they're going to be so good for so long. Um, as long as they can continue to excel in the run game, the run blocking, you know, they'll be, you know, one of the top tier teams in the league every year for the next five or six years. Man, I've um, had had fun watching you in the, the next chapters of your life. And we have a lot of mutual friends. And I know you enjoy doing the show on Fox with, with a bunch of them. And hopefully we can yeah. do this again. You were terrific. No doubt. So I appreciate you sharing no the time doubt. with Let's us. Let's do it. Uh, anytime, bro. I hope you enjoyed that with Vic. I know I was looking forward to it for a while, and I appreciate uh, him being so forthcoming on a topic where I'm sure a lot of guys will be like, I just don't want to talk about this anymore. Playoff basketball is finally here, and you can catch all the postseason action with Buffalo Wild Wings. There's no fans in the crowd, but that doesn't mean the real fans aren't at home. Cheering louder than ever from the edge of their seat, and they can all get that sports bar feeling with wings from B-dubs. Get boneless or traditional wings and over 24 of your favorite sauces and seasonings like Parmesan garlic, honey barbecue. Wait a minute. Mango habanero. Kyle, did you know about that? Oh, yeah. That's one of my go-tos. Is it? I'll do like Top three. Four. No, it's pretty hot. 
It is pretty hot. Yeah, the habaneros will get you. And for a limited time, get a wing bundle with 15 traditional wings and 15 boneless wings plus fries for just $29.99. That's enough wings for the whole house because the playoffs are here and there's no better way to watch than with Buffalo Wild Wings. So order at buffalowildwings.com or through the Buffalo Wild Wings app at participating locations for a limited time only for orders through Buffalo Wild Wings app or website. Not valid with any other offer. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari. 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. All right, let's do a life advice. I I just like this one because it's a little different. I appreciate all the lifting questions, guys, but just fucking download an app. Um, (laughs) I don't know how many more times I could say it. Everybody's different. Maybe you'll get there. You probably will. Sometimes your strength comes a lot later in life. But I don't, I, I love the stats, but I, you know, I can't really, I don't really know what I'm doing. All right. I just need to put myself through the physical exertion each day to, I don't know. It's just, I'm not like messed up or anything. I just, I need the 40 minutes where it's going to be challenging every day. And once I do that, I'm, uh, I'm good to go. I mean, maybe not, maybe that's why I'm hurt all the time because I'm doing it more often now. All right. Let's get rolling because I get about, I have a little less time because I'm, I'm, I have something planned here. Okay. So Christian asks, big fan of the show. I've been following you since the Van Pelt days when I was in high school. Uh, admired the way you handle adversity and bet on yourself. The question is, how do you get started on writing a screenplay? I've been interested in starting to write one for two or three years now. Sounds about right. It's pretty much how a lot of it works out is the thought has crossed your mind for a few years and you, you buy a few books. Uh, I make the joke that I bought the Robert McKee storybook, I think in 2004 at the Brookline Mass Barnes and Noble. I probably didn't start reading it until years and years later. And then I finally, once I was like, hey, are you going to be a poser and, and buy the next new screenplay book? Are you going to buy the new edition of Final Draft? Um, you know, just start writing, just start writing stuff down. All right, so I'll get to that in a little bit. All right, so focusing on uncertainty in your mid to late 20s, real original, I know, but looking at it from the perspective of someone who lost their parents at a young age like I did, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, aside from your idea, I have no idea how to start. I'm hoping that you'd be able to give advice where it starts you've been working on writing yourself. I hope you're well. Um, all right, so cool. Um, that was, that's that's nice, and, I, and I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, I, You know, depending on, on how close you are and, and losing them, when you're younger, I, one of my friends, um, who I, was, I used to be close friends with, but he lost his mother when he was really young and it was unbelievable how he handled it. He's a really strong guy. And I just said, ah, man, I can't imagine. I can't imagine. And he just refused to let it be anything other than, I know this sounds crazy, but like he, he just forced himself to turn it into a positive. He goes, you know what? He goes, I got to see my mom in her last days as, as my mom still and all the stuff at the end that you have to worry about. He's like, I never have to worry about it with her and she's in a better place and, and whatever. So you weren't asking for advice on that kind of thing. So I wasn't trying to get too deep with you, but uh, uh, a, a friend of mine, um, we'll call him George. He, uh, he said that to me a long time ago when he lost his mother. And I've never forgotten because uh, I was like, wow, that's that's unbelievable. It may not even believe that on the inside, but if that's what you're doing on the outside, good for you. Okay, so screenplay advice. I uh, Again, I'm not really anybody in this other than a guy that's had a few ideas and has sat down. And I've, I've written quite a bit now in the last couple of years since I've moved to Los Angeles. And I have uh, the blind script deal with ABC, which is um, you know great. It, it's, it feels like a very you know, entry level thing for me, which, which makes sense. There's a couple other things that are in the works, but that's kind of the way the business always is. You know, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and talk it up unless it's real, uh, with you guys. Cause I just don't like people that are full of shit. And I always kind of regret maybe telling anybody about it because it feels like, Hey, it's been a couple of years. What's going on. You're like, yeah, but I had to kind of really lock in and make sure I learned how to do it. So I would start with this. Um, there's a lot of people that want to do it and there's a lot that are never going to. You're just going to talk and talk and talk and you know to really sit down in front of your laptop and you're in a room by yourself and you're like, "All right, start creating this world and follow through and write all the dialogue and know where the hell it's going because that's the other thing. Plenty of people I do it all the time. I'm like, "You know what would be a good idea is this." And you're like, "Okay, but where does it go? What's the second episode? What's the third season?" And you're like, "All right, this sucks. This idea sucks too." Um but I've done a few different things where I've tried to write out 
just scenes and then build a show around the scenes, knowing kind of deep down like where the idea is going. And then when I did the thing with ABC, it was it was very structured in that it was give us log lines for shows, and I gave them a few different ideas, and they they picked one that I thought they were going to pick, and then um, they. Uh, they were like, all right, now do every character that's a main character. So there's like 14, 15 characters for the first season of this thing that I'm trying to do and give us a complete pilot outline start to finish. So the whole doc for that wasn't too bad. It was only 10, 12 pages or something. And I looked at a couple templates for it. You can find all this stuff online and you can find a million scripts online too. So, you know, I probably should have read a few more scripts before I started writing my own, but I just wanted to see if I could do it. And I still don't even know that, you know, there's, there's a chance I don't prove anything and it doesn't work out to the level that I want it to work out to. I'm, I'm aware of that. I haven't accepted that, but I'm aware of it. But I would go and start reading. I started reading some Coen Brothers scripts. I would not do that because those guys are just on such a different level. And the way they write some of the dialogue, it's probably going to screw you up a little bit. Um, think about some of the shows that are a little bit more like rules formatty and and go you know um read the breaking bad pilot you know because the breaking bad pilot it's an amazing pitch it's an amazing pilot it plants the seeds you understand why walter white is going to end up going down the road that he's going to go down go and read that read some stuff that you wouldn't think of i mean somebody sent me a a doc for the the drama nashville and they're like this is actually like considered a very good template of like how you should do some of this early stuff. So you can do just like any time you had a writing assignment when you were in college uh, or high school and they go, let's do an outline. And all of us would go, oh, you know, I don't want to have to do all of this stuff. Well, there's a reason why you do it because it actually makes the rest of the work towards the end a lot easier. So go get the final draft app. It's expensive. But if this is what you want to do, I mean, spend you're going to spend $150 in a worse way at some point. So I would do that. I would read a bunch of scripts and then I would kind of go, all right, what are the five things that I would think would be an interesting story? Maybe you don't have anything interesting. I mean, not everybody gets to do this. It's the same thing with like people that want to be on air. You know, the, the rule used to always be just because you want to be on the air doesn't mean you get to be on the air. And with writing, uh, you always have to realize how hard this is and how many people are doing it. And the 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 first thing you have to know, though, like, do you actually like doing it? Because I realized that I did. It was it was something I could do on my own. I would chip away at it, and you go, "This sucks. This sucks. This sucks. This sucks." And you have a moment where you write a few dot lines of dialogue. You're like, "Ah, oh, that's pretty good. Like that works." And if anybody that's really established, I, you know, I, I, a lot of people listen to this podcast. I mean, maybe there's something here you're connecting with. But uh, my biggest thing, what I'm not trying to uh, portray myself as this really established guy that totally knows what he's doing, because I'm still learning um, as I try to kind of change not change careers but uh picking up a skill in your 40s or trying to figure out if you have the skill in your 40s hasn't always been the easiest thing so you know like anybody really good writers do the exact same thing i mean they're all over twitter doing the same thing you write a few paragraphs you're like oh this sucks no one's going to read it i'm terrible at what i do and then for whatever reason you kind of come out the other side and you're like all right this is acceptable or the great day where you're like this is really good and it's whenever i get stuck um what I'll do too is if I go, okay, the scene doesn't make any sense. It has to be better. This is stupid. I'm probably a little bit too much like, oh, that wouldn't happen guy, which I think is frustrated. Uh, somebody I've worked with on was with some other project we have going on. I'm like, oh, that wouldn't happen. But I'll write out 10 things. I'm like, hey, even if all nine of these things suck, it's almost like in Mad Men where the ad executives will talk to each other and they'll say, all right, give me 25 lines on on burger town or whatever the hamburger place was that they were um they they were doing business for a little bit later on and it was just you would force yourself to sit in a room and like have to write down 25 lines and the exercise of doing it, even though most of those lines would suck triggers something where you start kind of tricking your brain into thinking that way and it's pretty crazy how how it can work out so like if i get stuck and be like all right this character sucks here what are 10 things this character would do that would make them more interesting and you know, like, all right, that sucks, stupid, cliche. All right, I already did that. That's been done four times. And then you're like, wait, a time traveling longshoreman? That might work. Don't take that. All right, so there you go. Uh, please subscribe, rate, and review to the Ryan Rosillo podcast here on the Ringer Network. And remember, Sundays with Bill Simmons.